This is the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibney. Justin, it's great to be back with you for the second episode of the second season. As always, brother, I think we have a lot of good information, a lot of good point of view for this next season, so I'm excited about it, bro. It's gonna be, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be an important year, and I'm, uh, I'm excited to spend it with you. Uh, and Justin, I was so thrilled, uh, a that we were able to tape a uh, a live episode to kick off the second season last week, and we we hope our listeners enjoyed that. But I was just personally thrilled to to be with you and the Ann campaign uh, on MLK Day, and to see. The incredible, really, I mean, I know people are tentative about using this word, but, but, you know, I'll use it. The, the movement that y'all are building there in Atlanta and around the country. I met some of the nicest, smartest people. It, it was really a community feel and, uh, uh, people were fired up about, uh, being able to hold together biblical conviction and social justice. And so, uh, what what was your sort of reaction uh, to uh, uh, to uh, you know the uh, the event and what what the end campaign was able to pull off earlier uh, uh, earlier this month? Well, we got some great feedback, so I was really excited about that. People enjoyed our conversation; they found it to be substantive and really helped them in in looking forward to this next year from a political point of view. And as always with the end campaign, we're nothing without the body of Christ coming together. And so to hear that people are excited about, you know, the combination of social justice and biblical values, that really just tells us that folks are excited about the gospel because that's really that's really what that is. And us uh, applying the gospel to uh, the political space. And it, it was excellent to see so many people come out on a cold day, at least for Atlanta standards, to come out, <laughs> listen to some some political talk and then to go out and march in solidarity and celebration of the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was was huge. And so we were excited. Again, we got great feedback and it's something I'm ready to do, to do this next year. It was, it was an exciting event. Yeah. And shout out to Pastor Leon's Crump. Shout out to show angel. Uh, just everyone. Uh, yeah, Dr. Zaha Howard. Exactly. You know, Lee Jenkins. Yeah. yeah all them everyone that helped, uh, uh, come out and lead. And, you know, for listeners out there and, you know, we get messages all the time about, you know, from folks wondering just um, how or whether if it's even possible to have a healthier politics, given everything that we're seeing. Um, and, and, you know, we talk, uh, obviously, this podcast, so, you know, really, you know, what we're doing is talking a lot uh, and and talking about ideas and talking about ways forward. Um, it was special for me to see some of these ideas that we've talked about, uh, you know, on this podcast over the last six months, seven months, uh, actually lived out on the ground and proven to be possible. I mean, what we were marching and, you know, there, there are folks holding signs, uh, you know, and police brutality and mass incarceration, uh, pro-life for the whole life from womb to tomb, uh, uh, biblical values and social justice. And to see that sort of on the street level, uh, and see people fired up about it and see see others who are in the march and watching the march sort of engaging in that. It was inspiring to me. I hope it will be inspiring to listeners that uh, this is not all theory like this can actually be lived out in our present political circumstances. And we hope 
we hope that more of y'all will will do that and i know and campaign uh, will be doing that faithfully uh so so just want to thank you justin and uh it was it was a great time thanks for coming out brother it was great having you great so uh so we're gonna we're gonna jump in uh with with this week's headlines and you know we've talked we talked a lot last week about daca and how things were developing uh, uh there we saw uh a you know less than 72 hour uh, government shutdown around the daca deal democrats i think realizing that their leverage was limited agreed to a temporary i think three week extension of government funding uh, trump responded with a set of principles that included immigration cuts across the board which lawmakers of both parties uh just yesterday um uh, or just earlier this week have asked him to to sort of limit his scope for the daca deal to just dealing with dreamers and border security but really justin what i think we're going to see this there's not a whole lot of concrete news about this the these these kids in some ways are you know in just a sense of limbo as they were you know before negotiations really heated up now that uh now that the government shutdown is sort of postponed and government funding is extended i think we're going to see a, a lot more posturing uh hopefully we'll see some senators come to the come to the table and try and put together another bipartisan deal that will somehow uh get the agreement of this white house but these these kids are 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 still and i should say you know young young adults now these young adults are are still in limbo yeah our representatives in, in dc need to get on their job you know, they need to they need to come to a resolution on this as soon as possible as you said trump did uh recently detail a broad immigration reform policy uh part of that policy was uh 25 billion dollars for the wall um neither of us are, are, in, are in agreement with that but that's something that he threw out from his base and it's something he ran on so right. it shouldn't be unexpected for anyone to see but but it also also offers dreamers a path, a possible path to citizenship. And that's what I really am interested in. My primary concern when it comes to immigration policy today is protecting dreamers. Uh, we need to get a deal done so that they can live with confidence uh, about their status and just to have peace of mind. And so if, if Trump or uh, the Republicans renege on, you know, giving them that protection, uh, that'll be disappointing. But I'm not going to allow I'm not just going to look at one party in that regard, because if Democrats uh, summarily reject a proposal that gives dreamers a path to citizenship, either because it doesn't have everything they want uh, or because it might give Trump uh, a victory and the kind of victory they don't they don't want him to see. Uh, I think that would be very irresponsible. So let's make sure we're looking at both sides and making sure they're reasonable. The reason I say this is because if he can get some type of comprehensive plan done, this would be a huge accomplishment. Uh, it'd be accomplishment that the Bush administration wasn't able to do. Also, the Obama administration. So this will be one of the biggest things that happen in his administration. And if we're going to play politics about it, there are reasons why Democrats can, as you say, start posturing and finding reasons not to support it. Uh, but are those real reasons? And do we care? What's our what's anytime you're looking at uh, policy, you do have to look at priorities. 
If our priority is making sure that dreamers are protected and that they can have confidence in their status, then that means there may be some things in this policy you don't like. But if you're trying to protect those people, you need to go along with it. I'm going to be watching very closely for both to see what both sides do. If a policy that has some security measures, but also protects those dreamers, if it comes across, you know, the desks of these folks, what they do. And I think we should all be watching that because both sides are responsible for being uh, reasonable in this regard and looking out for these these kids. Yeah, a hundred percent. We'll we'll uh, uh, we'll definitely be watching that. You know, the 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 other thing about this that I just wanted to point out is uh, I I think and I hope the American people are getting tired of politicians creating crises. Uh, hmm. in, in order to, um, in order to, like you said, just get them to do their jobs. Uh, there is, you know, the idea that you have to force uh, a, a government shutdown in order to get uh, a potential vote on a problem that was created by, uh, uh, by the, uh, by a confluence of the Obama administration executive order and then Trump's repeal of that executive order. Uh, like mm-hmm. we saw this coming for months, like you said, and it's not just, um, obviously the, the dreamers are feeling this, uh, more than anyone, but for the entire political system, for, for our country as a whole to, to constantly have politicians be willing to create these moments of crises, these moments of anxiety, uh, for their own political purposes, um, is, is really detrimental. It undermines trust in government and in, in our political system. And, you know, uh, to, to, you know, it, it, it really, I, I've truly come to believe it. It damages people's souls. I mean, I, I think people are spiritually burdened by, uh, by this kind of politics. And at some point we just got to say, look, we, we're not interested in having, your gamesmanship, uh, 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 in, in like our personal lives so much. Like we don't, we we don't need this. (laughs) That's the key right there. We have the power to make that change. And so every time you see a politician, whether it's in, you know, a hearing or something like that being coming with all this gamesmanship, let's stop retweeting it. Let's stop pointing it out. The next time that a Republican or Democrat blames what's happening to DACA or what's happening with immigration on the other side, don't retweet it. Say something like, look, just get it done. Right. And so as long as we want to be entertained, as long as we go along with the theater that sometimes is politics and we don't have anyone else to blame. But to your point, brother, Weir, we have the power to change that by what we promote and, and, and what we value. Uh, and so if we send them a strong message that I don't, I don't want to hear anything other than results and solutions right. and they're going to respond to that, but we have to start. Yeah. Well, just, I wanted to, uh, uh, want to move on, uh, with actually, you know, um, a lot of folks are having a positive reaction to president Trump's, uh, uh, trip to Davos for the world Ec- economic forum. Uh, yep. for Reed Zakaria in the Washington Post, I'm just going to read right from this op-ed, he, uh, the, the top of it. This is Reed Zakaria in the Washington Post. 
the Trump we saw in Davos should leave us encouraged. That's the headline. And he opens, ever since Donald Trump was elected president, I have said that when he did something right, I would say so. That's gotten me into trouble with some readers, but I'm going to do it again. On Friday at the World Economic Forum, Trump gave a good speech that was forthright, intelligent, and conciliatory, embracing the world rather than condemning it. The address was extremely well received here at the forum by both American business leaders and even non-American attendees who are overwhelmingly skeptical of Trump overall. And then just to conclude, if the speech represents a new approach for the president, it will be a huge step forward. And uh, so, you know, Trump goes to the World Economic Forum, uh, which, you know, could have been, you know, in some ways it's uh, it's a favorable environment. It's 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 business folks. The World Economic Forum does have a focus on on inequality, but it's also full of folks who who generally, you know, believe in uh, the power of business, the power of of capitalism. Uh, and in some ways, you know, Trump is perfectly tailored for this group. In other ways, uh, it's not such a good fit. You know, Trump is, you know, definitely not a globalist. Uh, he, he, uh, has, uh, between, uh, Africa and, uh, the Caribbean and, uh, and then the fact that his, his policies and general posture are in many ways very uh, non-European. Uh, uh, he, you know, <laughs> he doesn't have a ton of global support. Uh, but I do think we need to, uh, we, we we need to, and I'm willing to acknowledge, uh, you know, at Davos, Trump seemed to represent the country pretty well. He seemed to be pretty uh, focused on uh, some of the global economic needs. There were a lot of concerns at the forum about some of the trade policies Trump is, uh, Trump is advancing, uh, and, and that'll be something to watch. But uh, th- this might be the first really uh, promising showing of of presidential leadership that that we've seen from President Trump on, on the global stage. Yeah, as you said, uh you could expect uh, to some extent this group to be somewhat hostile. Uh they were business people, but because of Trump's nationalism, there could have been some hostility there because of comments that he he's made, because of international agreements that he has either said he's getting out of or has gotten out of. There is reason to think that this group wouldn't be uh, too positive about his performance. Uh, and he did a very good job. Surprisingly, he had a positive reception at Davos. Now, for those of you who need a little bit of background, uh, the World Economic Forum is basically a conference of CEOs from multinational uh, companies and world leaders to discuss global solutions to issues like income equality, as Brother Weir pointed out, uh, food security, international trade and investment, and so on. So they get together. And the theme of this year was creating a shared future in a fractured world. And while all, and although some may have expected Trump to, and actually to, to tell you the truth, some people expected people to walk out, a, a big group of people to actually walk out while he was speaking. That didn't happen. It was really just a small group. And here's one line from Trump's uh, speech, just to give you an idea of, of what he said. He said, America first does not mean America alone. When the United States grows, so does the world. Mm-hmm. Now that actually sounds quite presidential, right? That's yeah. almost makes, nat- <laughs> that almost makes nationalism sound like it, it could make sense. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know that we have any precedent to believe um, 
and, and actually, I'm sure we we have no president to believe that he'll continue on this with this posture. Right. But like you like your quotes from Fareed Zakaria, there were people who were, were very impressed with what Trump was doing and what Trump said. And the truth of the matter is uh, people are just really excited about the economic growth worldwide. Uh, there is our rising markets and people are excited about that. So that's one of the reasons that he got this positive reception. Many believe that this is a consequence of his economic policies, particularly his uh, recent tax cuts. Uh, and so you see more companies are talking about investing in the U.S. Uh, uh, they're giving their bone, you know, they're giving their employees bonuses and not just high level employees and stocks are on the rise. A question that uh, myself and brother Weir continue to, to ask is, how how will this turn out at the end of the day? What's going to happen with these tax cuts when it comes to entitlements? Is this something that will be laid on the backs of the poor or what? I don't think we've seen that yet. But as far as a group that was at, was at this forum, they were excited about what was going on. And Trump saw the, the fruits of that, so to speak. Yeah. And, you know, I, I almost I almost want to just leave leave on a positive note with Trump. But but I will just say one thing, which is. You know, now now that we know he could do something like this, and we'll see that you, you know his first state of the union is this this week. That'll be another opportunity. But now that we've seen that he could go to a place like the World Economic Forum and actually uh, kind of uh, leave the leaders and leave America's position better off when he left than when he came in. Uh, you know, I think it adds a different sort of light on when he does sort of, you know, make a fool. <laughs> uh, and, and we'll see what he does at the State of the Union. But if he follows up World Economic Forum with with the strong State of the Union that is disciplined and focused and, you know, presidential, uh, th then we could be seeing, you know, a, a new Trump in 2018. I'm, I'm not going to hold my breath for that, but it, it's, uh, uh, it's worth paying attention to uh, with the midterms coming up. If if someone's gotten through to him that if there's not a change, the political consequences and his flexibility in his final two years of his uh, of this term will be extremely limited. And so I'll be watching, you know, from a political perspective, if uh, if someone's finally gotten through uh, to to discipline Trump or if the political circumstances themselves have have led Trump to sort of feel uh, like he needs to be uh, acting a, a, a little bit differently, at least in big moments. That's right. And, and like you said, the State of the Union address uh, is going to give us an idea of what's going to happen from now on. He needs to make sure that whoever wrote his speech in Davos, which is in Switzerland, Swiss Alps, is the person that's, that wrote his State of the that is writing his State of the Union speech, because the, some of the connections that were made there were, were pretty smart. And I think that'll help him out. Something else to note from this engagement was. How we see that, you know, he hasn't really governed from a populist point of view, right? Yeah. We know that he espoused that during his campaign. Some people somewhat expected that. But when it comes to how he's governed, he's really just used kind of the Republican playbook um, when it comes to his economic policy, regulation and taxes. And so that's a little bit of a change. Uh, many Republicans and I've heard this on different podcasts I listen to. And just in general, a lot of folks that were skeptical of Trump when it comes to economic policy. Many Republicans are really excited about what he's doing. So that's something yeah. to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, great.
Well, the, the last topic is, uh, and just, I really want you to, to, uh, you sent me this article and, uh, New York Times did this pretty interesting feature, which covered stuff. I think we knew generally we see people, you know, Twitter followers and Instagram followers and, and kind of, kind of know something's going on there. But New York Times dug in with investigative reporting, uh, on how people, uh, celebrities, political leaders, religious leaders are, uh, buying, uh, followers and how some of these sort of dark, organizations are are stealing people's online uh identity as a part of really this racket uh and you know this has not just you know this has political consequences it has consequences for just our uh our our social lives uh, justin what what stuck out to you about about this pretty impressive impressive report that the new york times put together well, you hit it on the head. This was a uh, very, uh, very good research done here. It was true to um, investigative reporting. And I, I was excited. Anytime I can read an article that has uh, good facts and is, is really insightful, I'm excited about it. And so I uh, hat off to the gray lady for that. But really, it was about a it was about fake follower followers on social media and fake retweets and fake all that stuff. What's happening is that com- companies are selling athletes, celebrities, politicians and even some pastors hundreds of thousands of followers on the black market. What this is doing is it's making these people and their statements seem more popular popular than they really are. Here's a quote from this uh, article in the New York Times. It says, at a time when Facebook, Twitter, and Google are grappling with an epidemic of political manipulation and fake news, Davumi, who is a company that's actually selling these followers, one of the companies, uh, Davumi's fake followers also serve as phantom foot soldiers in political battles online. Davumi's customers include both avid supporters and fervent critics of President Trump uh, and both liberal uh, cable pundits and reporters at the alt-right bastion Breitbart. And so it goes through how some people are buying hundreds and thousands of followers. It names people like Hillary Rosen, who's a uh, communications consultant, and others really to make themselves seem more influential than they are. It talks a lot about how the more followers you have, uh, the more business you can do. If you're in certain areas, people say, well, look, I have, you know, a million followers. And so that helps me in contract negotiation when I'm either, yeah. you know, trying to represent a product and all sorts of things. The problem is that it's fake. Mm-hmm. And so it is it is manipulation. Uh, and we really need to watch out for that. One of the quotes in here says, you can't take any tweet at face value and not everything is what it seems. Mm. What we're seeing again is a lot of deception. And this is another reason why Christians have to be very clear on what they believe. We cannot base our opinions on who has the most followers, on who's getting the most retweets, because we don't know if it's real or not. But what we do know is it's kind of a snowball effect. If you can show a certain amount of retweets, then other people are more likely to real people are more likely to retweet what you're saying. They're going to you know, people are going to kind of use this um, and it's going to affect us as long as we're impressionable, as long as we're malleable and not sure about what we believe. And that's another reason that the uh, that church politics podcast is here. You're we right. wanted to make sure that we're giving people real insight, real information about politics 
so that you don't have to kind of follow behind who you're seeing getting the most retweets. But this is something we should all be aware of and just keep in mind as we're uh, uh, going through our, our social media feeds and and, and reading uh, articles and things of that nature. It's, it's serious business. Yeah. You know, I was just, you know, if this was a, a different podcast and different people, you know, I could imagine and we were different people. I could imagine this conversation going in, in a different direction. Uh, and, you know, saying like, <laughs> like, do, do, do any of us really exist? Like, what is, what is fake when, <laughs> but, but we're, we're a church politics podcast is from a Christian worldview. So we're not, we're not confused. Right. We're not too confused on that. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. And the thing that struck me is, uh, you know, there are all these revitalized conversations around um, how do we get in schools and how do we get to the general public uh, media literacy, which which up to this point is primarily meant like uh, how to read news media, like how to read uh, reporting. Uh, and, and, you know, we're, we're a bit behind the eight ball on, on this one. We definitely need to be thinking about that. But social media literacy is also going to be important uh in in the coming years and so how do we help people to read through some of the manipulative tactics that that people are using to to gain unearned influence right like the these are people who are trying to take shortcuts uh to the influence that has not been uh not, not been not been earned that isn't warranted uh and how this affects our politics, how this affects who's who's allowed or who is propped up to run for office. So when political parties are looking at candidates and, you know, uh, they they can choose between throwing their weight behind someone who's been working in the community and hasn't been hasn't been focusing on their social media (laughs) accounts uh, and someone who has, you know, puffed up numbers and can claim that uh, they'll have a better time with name recognition because they have, you know, fake followers, you know, how is, how is political influence gonna, gonna flow? Uh, so, so we hope folks, we, we highly recommend this article to, uh, to, to those of you listening to the podcast and, and we'll obviously be, be following, uh, the, this story in, in the coming, uh, in the coming months. Uh, so, so those are the top headlines. Uh, Justin, you catch any of the Grammys last night? I did catch some of the Grammys last night. I, I checked it out for a little bit. And, you know, the obviously I got to give we got to give props to the, the person who really took away the most the most Grammys, which was Bruno Mars. I'm yeah. um, not a huge fan, but I do realize he has a lot of fans and he uh, he won six Grammys, including album of the year and song Ooh. of the year. So we got to we got to shout him out. But I'm going to be honest. The highlight for me was seeing Kendrick Lamar get his four Grammys. So yeah. he got uh, best rap album, best uh, rap song, best rap performance, and best rap song collaboration. Um, and so I, I wish that he would have gotten album of the year uh, and record of the year too, but we'll take it. I'll take that because I thought that uh, Kendrick Lamar's last album was excellent. I really enjoyed it. And so it was good to see uh, him come alive. Now, a lot of people, and I, I want to hear how you feel about this. A lot of people were feeling like Jay Z got snubbed. Yeah. Uh, Jay Z yeah. was nominated for eight uh, Grammys, and he didn't get any of them. 
Now, Brother Weir, I'm going to say something that's somewhat unpopular, and I'm just going to take my chances here because I think it's real. I thought 444 was overrated. Yeah. Don't at me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't at me at all. Because a lot of people didn't feel that way. Right. I'm a huge fan, Reasonable Doubt, and a lot of other stuff. But I just wasn't, I wasn't feeling that album, man. And I, it was funny because I was recently at, actually it was a New Year's Eve party and Jay-Z came on. I was like, I'm not a huge fan. And like everybody in the party, like stopped <laughs> and was like looking at me. I think the record skips, the lights flickered. Uh, my very gracious host, even they were like, what? Uh, what's going on? And I'm like, come on, guys. Yeah. I, I just thought it was a little overrated. I'd love to hear what you, what you thought about that and just the night in general. Yeah. I thought it was it was a great night. I thought they kept it moving. I thought the performances were were varied and, and mostly really good. Uh childish Gambino, Donald uh uh Donald uh it was amazing. Uh, I mean just uh, that performance won the night to me and I Save think some he, talent for the rest of us, man. He does he, everything well. He might be the most talented man in America. Uh I, I just started watching uh Atlanta on a plane ride and and Sorry. was impressed by that and then you know that that album is uh it, you know I think that along with uh, uh Daniel Caesar's uh Freudian were really some of the best uh, R&B in uh, what was I thought last year was an incredible year for R&B music I'll be honest I mean part of the reason why there was so much uh uh dispute over the awards last night is you know t- for me to say my controversial thing i don't think last year was such a great year in music <laughs> uh i mean if you okay. think about 2016 uh, uh maxwell came out with a new album frank ocean uh you know beyonce came like i i just didn't think especially uh uh r&b i mean daniel caesar was really the highlight for me um and so i thought it was rough i, I think bruno mars benefited from Jay-Z and Kendrick probably splitting votes. And then I also think he, he benefited from like Taylor Swift and Ed Sheeran and some of the big pop names not being nominated in the category. I think he benefited from getting some of the pop votes too. And so I really think it was a, it was uh, Bruno benefited. Hey, he's, he's an incredible once in a generation performer. He's just a great performer. I also think he benefited from the way that the award, uh, the, the, the nominees lined up, uh, th- this year, but it was, it was a, it was a great show. U2's performance. I'm not a big rock guy, but, uh, U2 has a sense of grandeur about them and to perform in front of the Statue of Liberty like that on the water. It was, it was pretty, uh, pretty beautiful. And then just a quick shout out. Uh, you, you know, sometimes I get like a little annoyed by, um, uh, by p- political references, uh, especially when, when they aren't too coherent. Logic, uh, mm-hmm. logic delivered like a, like potent fire last night. And even if you disagree with his politics, you had to listen to that and, and be like, wow, he had something to say. <laughs> like he, I, I, it was, rap. It, don't sleep on him. Logic can rap. It, it was un, uh, it was unbelievable. And so, uh, that, you know, I was, I was moved and I was, you know, I was watching with, with Melissa and, 
you know, I had complained a couple of times about, oh, like that wasn't even coherent. What this person said, what that person said. And then I looked at Melissa when, when logic just, just let out this ream. And I was like, that was, that was high level, you know, political, political rhetoric. And so I, I enjoyed the show last night. I hope people will check out Daniel Caesar's album. He was nominated for best R&B album. Uh, I think he'll be uh in grammy talks in the in the in the uh, years ahead but that was really the standout in 2018 for me i wish he could have taken or 2017 i wish he could have taken home something yeah and i hear you i I really again i I, i'd say listen to to kendrick lamar i thought he i thought he did an excellent job i think he he puts substance and some positivity in some really tough situations and and is kind of real with with the way he does it uh, again, do not at me about the Jay Z comment. I'm just, I'm just being real with you, man. I mean, the truth, because what happened, and I'm, I'm gonna go back into it just shortly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happened was there was this big deal about, oh man, this is grown man rap. This is huge. Yeah. But that's not really new. Like Nas came out with Life is Good a while back, and I think it was actually a lot better than this. It was very grown. You got cats like Fonte from Big Brother who have come out with several grown up rap albums that are good, not like right. super boring and elevator music. These are really good. And so I, I think it was a little overblown. Uh, excellent artists take nothing away from that has, has done some really good work. This just wasn't the time. And so I, I didn't have a problem with the way that went, but I'm hoping to hear good music from all those folks, uh, in the coming year, year or two. Yeah. And just, I think part of it, um, and you know, we really should check before this airs whether the Bajancy hires out to protect Jay Z as well. Um, cause that may, <laughs> that may affect whether we want to release this or not. But I, I do think a lot of the, a lot of the hype and interest in Jay Z's record was, um, was the relationship with Beyonce, was the follow up to Lemonade, was this sense that you were getting, like there was a, there was a, 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 a social intrigue, sort of a gossipy intrigue to it, yeah. that if, if Jay Z was married to, uh, you know, someone that, that we didn't know, I, I'm not sure if there would be such a level of interest and sort of like, uh, oohs and odds over, you know, Jay Z getting into some more like mature adult themes. Uh, so I think that played a, yeah. played a big role. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of PR. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. and I, if you're looking just at the art, I mean, nobody has better PR in my opinion than, than those two. And I don't <laughs> take, I mean, that's, it is what it is. But those they those two have excellent PR. But I thought there was a lot of PR around it. I don't know that the album lived up to it. So that's yeah. all I'm saying. We know anytime yeah. that you talk about hip hop, you got to make tough decisions. You got you 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 gonna have some disagreements. Yeah. And I'm just laying that out there, man. That's yeah. the way I felt about it. No no disrespect, but no. I'm glad to see my brother Kendrick Lamar do his thing. Yeah. Do you know who doesn't need a PR agent because she she can get all the PR she wants on her own? Blue Ivy. <laughs> I don't know if oh, y'all saw you believe it. some of those shots, you believe it. but but that's that's going to be something. I mean, talk about intrigue. I think it's going to be a lot of fun seeing her at award shows in coming years. But she uh, uh, <laughs> that that was a lot of fun to see last night. Uh, Justin, Definitely. do you want to uh, uh, do you want to uh, wrap up the show? I know you had something you want to uh, you wanted to to share this week to to close things out. I can do that. Uh, for anyone who listened to our episode last week, one of the main things we talked about during our 2018 political outlook was the idea of staying on certain issues. A lot of times what happens because we have 
uh, social media plays such a big part in our advocacy now as we jump from one issue to another without really um, making any changes in the first issues with, that we were dealing with. And so it's in, it's always important as you look at a platform, so to speak, to make sure that you prioritize certain issues and stay on them. Some some issues may fade away. They may come back. But if you stay on them, people are going to recognize it. One of those issues, and we talked about it in that last ap- episode, is religious exclusion. Uh, I talked about how this is a growing phenomenon, which is really being used to keep religion out of the sociopolitical space. Uh, just to give you a definition so you understand it, religious exclusion involves the intimidation of people with certain religious beliefs, usually those who espouse a more centered and traditional view of social issues to coerce them into either self-censoring or denying those beliefs. Or uh, it's the use of other tactics to limit their political participation. Uh, Religious exclusion is marked by a focus on creed rather than policy. The overall goal is to silence people of faith and exclude them from public office solely because of their religious beliefs. And a campaign to watch, I think, is one uh, for Andrew White. Andrew White is a 45 year old uh, Houston entrepreneur who is running for governor as a Democrat in Texas. He's an elder at a church that believes uh, homosexuality is a sin. Um, and he says he personally, it seems like he personally believes that himself, but he said, he says it's a church and state issue for him. And there's a separation there in his mind. He said, uh, it will not interfere with, with how he governs. So keep an eye out for that primary. I want to see if the Democratic party actually uses religious exclusion tactics in this, in this primary. Uh, but that's one to look out for. And I want everyone to keep talking about this because it is a real issue. There'll be more conversations about it. But we need to make sure that religion is not taken out of the sociopolitical space. It's on us and we have to get it done. Yeah, Justin, it's it's just it's going to be a, a vital uh, both for the health of the country and for the health of the Democratic Party um, to not be resorting to these tactics of uh, religious exclusion. And so we will be watching that indeed. And folks should really check out Andrew White. It's, uh, he, he looks like a, a promising young, a candidate in, in a state that's, that's been pretty tough for, for Democrats to, uh, to, to win in. And, and so, uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll be keeping up with, with Andrew's campaign. Uh, folks, I think that's, I think that's, that's all we have for you, uh, this week. It was, Really wonderful to be with you for uh, the first recorded episode of uh, of the Church Politics Podcast for the second season. And we look forward to bringing you so much more in 2018 and glad to do it all with you, Justin. Any final words? No, that's it. Uh, God bless you and we'll see you next week. It's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The only thing good came out of Nazareth. This is the groove. Tell me, can yeah. you handle it? I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave. I'm unchained. I'm Frederick Douglass with a fade.